0: Good afternoon everyone, how are you guys doing? What's going on? Welcome to episode 24 of Merchants of Novigrad, a bi podcast where we discuss everything Gwent. Stay with me, my brother-in-arms, Hester Tavern, and as you guys can see, once again we have a very unique guest for the first time in this kind of setting, the Gwent Live Ops Director, Vlad Tortsov. How are you guys doing?
1: Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me uh, on the podcast today.
0: Before we dive into it, as always, a few words to our viewers. Um, Guys, if you have any questions, you can ask them in chat. Esser, as usual, has been charged with the task of collecting the more interesting ones, and we'll try to answer them as we go. Also, if you want to stay in touch off-stream, you can follow us on Twitter at Novgrad Podcast. And if you don't have the time to watch this episode right now, it's going to be uploaded on YouTube, uh, Spotify, and numerous other platforms, either today or tomorrow with that being said let's uh let's go straight into our first segment which is what have been up to you but um you've recently made your debut during dev stream how did it feel that's true you know uh i
1: i kind of tend to like to be in the shadows most of the time you know all these jokes about vampires aside uh I just decided that maybe since we will have an eSports dedicated subject, I will be the best person to uh, talk about it. And uh, we discussed with Buja that it would be nice uh, to show my face once in a while. And uh, yeah, I I hope that in the future uh, you will be able to see me more in in, uh, official streams, maybe in in the community streams uh, such as this one a bit more. I'm I'm happy to you know establish this channel of communication with the community,
0: and we are happy to have you here as well, and we are happy to see more of you because recently I've also noticed that you've been a little bit more active on Reddit, you know answering all kinds of questions not only about your field of expertise but also about balance. No,
1: don't don't expect me you know to to, to join the balance discussions on a regular regulars. Uh... Matter, uh, I would leave this to the professionals. Uh, but uh, yeah, like my increased activity on Reddit, I think uh, related to the fact that previously, uh, you know, in the beginning of my career at CDPR, I was only responsible for esports. So the topics in which I could engage with the community were uh, rather limited. And right now, my area of responsibilities is wider. So I can actually talk a, a little, uh, about. Uh, a little bit more uh, things in general.
0: Awesome, awesome. Uh, moving on to the next topic, uh, how are you guys feeling? Because uh, we learned that Pavel has recently recovered from the coronavirus. Did you guys manage to, you know, keep things under control at CDPR or, or did more people get, get infected? Because as far as I know, uh, Pavel first got sick during the Open
1: Yes that that's true uh, he uh, felt worse after the first day of the open so we had to quickly f- find out the replacement panda was uh, very nice of you know taking the hosting uh, duties on, on day 2 from Pavel and also interviewing players so we managed to make it work as for the health situation within the team we all did our tests after you know uh, Pavel uh, made his test and it proved to be positive, it was obligatory uh, and unfortunately no one else uh, got infected so we managed to keep it under control and Buja, as far as I can tell, you know, uh, judging by his uh, Twitter and also uh, of course we were talking every day uh, for the, the job matters uh, he's feeling good so I think the the case is closed and it, it, we, we dodged the bullet everything really went well at that time
0: that's great to hear yeah and okay. um you know speaking speaking of 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 which uh, Hester, how are the classes going? because I remember you were really worried worried about there being a second lockdown and you know that affecting your business.
2: yeah, well, fortunately, we, we managed so far to dodge that bullet as well, and there's no prospects of you know a second lockdown coming in for Poland, but you never know, you never know. They are planning to reopen the uh the malls. Uh, next weekend. So hopefully the situation is under control and it's getting back to normal. I have some classes running uh, in the office still, Um, still looking for new students on the internet for the online classes. So, so far, so good. So far, so good. I I hope it's going to be like that.
0: Okay. I think, I think we exhausted the options when it comes to this segment and let's move on to what's happening when, because that's what people want to hear about more. And before we, before we start talking about the upcoming expansion, there's one question I want to ask, uh, Vlad, before, um, before the expansion was revealed, we were promised a patch to shake things up, and as far as I can see, that patch has never really happened. Oh, it's, it's not entirely true. I mean, uh,
1: I think when, when Jason uh, mentioned something about uh, shaking things up with the, the update, what he actually meant is that there will be uh, one card released, which is Alzer. We never did it before. We actually had plans in the, in the past to do something similar with uh, Master Mirror, but it, it was uh, never done for technical reasons. But this time we wanted to. To make the start of the pre-orders something special, in the sense that it's not only you know the the vanities which you can uh, get immediately and start using after you uh, purchase the pre-order package, uh, but also a card from the new expansion. So it's kind of glimpse into things to come and something for people to uh, to interact in the game. So from from this perspective, I don't think that Alzer itself can shake the meta in the sense that it's you know massive massive change but uh if you look at this uh the way i described i think it was a nice spicy addition to uh, to the patch so sorry if, if the expectations were raised a bit higher than they should be uh but you know it happens sometimes
0: oh yeah the, the expectations are always sky high when 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 Pavo or Slama or even you, when you guys mention anything on on social media, people are like, "Oh my God, there is this massive thing, you know, coming uh, coming to Gwent." Uh, an example of that being when 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 Jason said that Nerfguard needs some love, and people were already expecting a massive overhaul uh, similar to to what NR has uh, received, you know, some time ago. Um. But you know en- enough about the patch because as, as you said we got the new cart. Uh, The draft mode has been uh, revamped a little bit But the talk of the town is obviously the expansion Before we start talking about it. Let's let's show the trailer once again so that people can watch it with us Your most serene majesty We find ourselves in a world turned most foul. A world filled with innumerable horrors, monstrosities that prey on the meek and mighty alike. Tis truly a wretched scourge born of nightmares. Yet it need not be so. Freed of the fetters of the spineless council, we can create something new. Hunters of exceptional strength, speed, agility equipped to overcome absolutely any foe. Bards will toil to do justice to their feats, for sometimes one needs a monster to slay a monster. Just me, or does that sound far too serious? Once again, from the top.
2: usual
1: I think one one of the best that we we made, but I kind of tend to say it with about uh, you know every latest trailer that we released. I think the team is really evolving and progressing with uh, every new one.
0: I actually, I think it's it's the best one up to date And you know. I think- it, it shows I think so the, the team is
1: really rich. Also, you know the the way of the Witchers. Finally, we were putting more Witchers into the Witcher card game. So, like the the, the theme is so epic that uh, it's it's really hype and uh, cool to see.
0: Okay, guys. So, what are your first impressions, and what can we expect down the road?
1: Hesser, do you do you want to start with impressions?
2: Yeah, sure. Well, um, I think that for, for me right now um, the best cards would be the Syndicate ones, I think. I really like the addition of that self-poisoning archetype. I think this is going to be something really spicy, although a lot of people are hating that uh, on Reddit or, or whatever in some other social media. But I think that's this this is going to be another archetype and it's it's going to be viable, I think. Uh, everyone is like waiting for some buffs for Nilfgaard, obviously, and maybe for, for monsters. Uh, for something spicy, but this is gonna be my number one for now. I'm waiting for for more additions to to that one, definitely. Yeah, uh, well, for me, this is this expansion
1: is all about The Witchers, so I'm really curious about the The Witcher Tribal and Witcher Archetype, uh, which uh, you know can emerge after the release of this expansion. So. Uh, even though probably my favorite card out of everything that was revealed so far would be uh, this uh, Fuka. I hope I I, hope I pronounce it right. Uh, that was released just I think yesterday. You know the monsters card with Strife that also okay. being triggered when your opponent playing playing unit. I think it's a combination of such a nice uh, design with very beautiful art. So probably this would be my favorite up to date. Uh, but Witchers are definitely, you know, stealing the spotlight for this expansion, so I'm really curious, uh, like, how how powerful uh, they're going to be at the end after we will release everything and after players will discover all the possible synergies and mechanics. And I think, of course, Adrenaline
2: is very interesting as well.
0: Yeah, we'll talk about the new keyword in a moment.
2: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but... Well, we actually mentioned something about the, the new cards and all the reveals so far. But we have a new addition to the dev team as well, right, Maligion. And we've seen him mm-hmm. explaining the, the cards uh, during the stream, which was pretty awesome, actually, from you know the pro, uh, the former pro player uh, point of view. And uh, yeah, are you are you guys excited about uh, the uh, videos with him explaining the cards, making it more uh, viable for the newer players as well?
1: Well, I'm I'm super excited. I think uh, Maligion is a great uh, addition. To the team, and uh, I'm really happy to see that uh, with with Ryan on board as well we have more faces uh, on a regular basis uh, you know being presenting stuff to the community explaining how things work and I think the fact that religion really comes from the very active players pro players even yeah. uh, really helps to kind of establish this connection with you know the company that allegedly doesn't know anything about creating cards or, or balancing the game with uh, uh, you know, someone from the community who has a crazy amount of hours in Gwent uh, under the belt and uh, can actually speak from this perspective as well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. He's got like a couple of thousand of hours. So you definitely can say that you know, he's got a lot of experience in that field. Yeah, but let's move to the adrenaline. Right. What's our take on this new edition? I think that implementing new keywords is crucial for the game to to be like uh, fresh and alive. And this this one is really good. I really like it. I haven't seen it before in in other card games. And uh, and I think it's going to make sense in you know decision making during the uh, longer and shorter rounds. And it's it's something that pro players will probably enjoy the most. I'm thinking. But yeah, what's your take on that?
1: well, my my take is uh, very similar to yours. I also think that mechanic is very unique in many ways. Uh, I also find it rather original. Um, it's It's uh, hard to say yet like how uh, how much used it's going to be because uh, you know what what I actually like the most about this mechanic is that it it works both ways, right? So it can be a positive effect. It can be negative effect based on the card. So not all Adrenaline cards you, you actually would be excited about getting into the Adrenaline zone, but that that's also what makes it uh, very interesting, in, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, what I really like about Adrenaline is that the cards suddenly become more flexible. Like you yeah. can go, you know, uh, Owen, to cash on the Adrenaline effect, but you don't have to. Mm-hmm. And it also adds um, the aspect of... Um, you know the, the, the games be more predictable because you know how many cards your opponent, your opponent uh, has in hand so you can like, like knowing more or less what he's playing you can you can try to figure out whether or not he's playing this card next but you know I, but I have a question about the specific card because um, it was it was mentioned on reddit a couple of times uh, Coldgrim not having armor or any kind of protection and his interaction with uncrate longship I mean, what are...
1: exactly will uh, what will because happen? Because
0: Col- Col- Colgurum is one power, so if you play him, uh-huh. if you play him, he will just get killed by the longship?
1: Yes, I, I believe so. Uh, I, I don't think it's, it's uh, have any protection built in, so uh, it, it can be killed by by this. Don't, don't quote me on that, because like probably our uh, designers would. Uh, Maybe, you know, they could confirm it better than me, but uh, I, I believe it, it should work like that.
0: Oh, wow. So uh, that's going to be some really high risk play to, to include Colgrim in your deck for 9 provisions just to be smacked by a boat? <laughs>
1: I mean, the, in, in this case, uh, you just need to take care of the boat first, right? So th- this is really the case of uh, setting up the board uh, for, for playing this card. But I, I do agree that uh, it sounds risky.
2: Well, I—I I mean, you know, Nilgert has a lot of tools to take down the ship pretty effectively. So, you don't need to destroy it. You can
1: just move it to another row,
2: right?
0: Oh yeah, uh, Nilgert, exactly. Nilgert doesn't really have movement, so uh, it's not really uh, possible un- un- unless you are telling us that they are getting movement this expansion.
1: No, no, not saying anything like that. I don't know.
0: So yeah, so it seems like uh you know there are gonna be a couple of options. There there are locks obviously. Uh you can you can destroy the card with cards like assassination. And and um the new one, uh Co- coated blade.
2: Yep. Mm-hmm.
0: It's also five five uh, five power oh, yeah. damage.
2: Yeah. And you have a lot of locks. Well, you have uh what else do you have? You can play like, uh Radea, for instance, right? With uh
0: uh, how do you call that with the caller? I mean, you don't. You don't even have to play Radia. Uh, a lot of people are playing the More yeah, uh, Hunter, again. yeah, uh, which is a very flexible four-point card. So, uh, um, for uh, four yeah. card. So, um, yeah, you can. Like, if you are playing Colgrim, you just have to remember that whenever you you match against Caraga, you you have to keep in, keep you no. Know, keep that in mind that they they might be playing the longship but, you know we've been talking a lot about leaks and about what we've seen so far and you've not come empty-handed it's true so what do you have for us so one uh should i
1: say bombastic leak that i brought today uh this card which uh actually called making a bomb And uh, you can see that uh, we were were talking about movement just a a moment ago. So uh, there you go. And uh, this card enables uh, a movement of the unit and gives either bleeding or damaging based on uh, the state of the row in which unit was just moved. And uh, to me, probably I, what I like about this card the most is I think the art is absolutely gorgeous in this case. Well, it can be said about many Gwent cards, but uh, like the photorealism of, of this one is just uh, drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think uh, this is a really nice addition to the, the bomb uh, family in, in Gwent. And uh, I know for, for a while bombs were a bit underwhelming and kind of marginal but i i hope this is more interesting addition to uh, to this type of spells uh, it will see more play
0: uh please correct me if i'm wrong but this happens to be the first non-neutral bomb in the game hmm i'm
2: actually not sure but you may you may be right that's a good trivia question
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah that is a good trivia question because i really think that all the bombs we've seen so far are neutral cards and this one is a scryte one yeah hmm. have you have you guys considered giving it a um nature tag just to be played with uh with with fawf
1: oh but uh i I don't, I don't think it's really it it would be really uh not saying lore friendly but uh, with, with bombs uh they're they're destroying nature. You know, they're not part of the nature. I mean, so you never know. It's...
0: Maybe maybe they are only using you know natural ingredients to make the bomb.
1: Maybe maybe you know. Uh, to me, this is more about that squelto faction is not all about the nature and uh, tree hugging and uh, uh, like elves and uh, people living in the forest, but it's also about this uh, guerrilla... Movement, it's about resistance. There's almost like elven terrorists doing their uh producing weapons and attacking other factions. So, I think that this is like the another uh another part of this faction,
0: you know, calling elves terrorists. I, I hope Pavel is not watching this, <laughs>
2: <laughs> he's the main terrorist there. <laughs>
0: Because to, to, tomorrow you, or, you know, Monday, you might have a hard time, getting you know, coffee. talking, get, getting coffee <laughs> and even talking to Pavel, It's you know, calling his favorite faction terrorists. Whew. You know, with, with, uh, with elves, I remember I was uh, supporting
1: them during my playthrough in the first Witcher. I was kind of sympathetic to the cause and, and whatnot. And I, I remember in second Witcher, I also was, uh, you know, standing on the side of your bed. Uh, in my playthrough, so I was with them for a while, and then with The Witcher Three, my uh, like overlook at uh, what what they are in the lore and uh, how how else are, what their philosophy and what they're fighting for kind of changed. So uh, by the by the moment uh, Gwent arrived, I was already in Ylgert, uh main, so to say.
0: I see, man of the culture. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, you know, moving on. um, To to kind of follow up on the review campaign, um, how is it going to look like this time around? Because we've seen that every expansion um, uses a different model. Like sometimes sometimes it's mostly CDPR that reviews the cards. Sometimes it's mostly the community. Um, So what do you have in mind this time around? How is the campaign going to look like moving on?
1: I think... uh this time the balance looking like 22 versus 84 in in sense of uh, how many cards will be revealed by cdpr versus uh, how many of those will be revealed by the community whereas the community taking the majority of course like some of the cards which are you know in the cdpr list are uh, either in the initial reveal which has already happened on the day one or we also uh, plan to reveal some very exciting cards, you know, saving the best for last for uh, World Masters in December. So shameless plug uh, here. You should definitely watch it even if you're maybe not so interested in eSports but very interested in leaks. We, we have some juicy ones just, just for uh, December five and uh, 5th and
0: 6th. All right. I mean, the competitive events are always nice to watch, but you know, if you if you throw some leeks on top, it makes it extra spicy.
2: <laughs> and it's going to be the grand finale, so well, guys, you have to watch it. This is something that, you know, doesn't happen like every day. Moving on. All right, but let's move on to uh, the dev streams. We had we, we've you seen you in a pretty different format last time during the last open. Uh, but we wanted to ask, what happened to the Twitch developer streams? Is that is it going to be moved to the events and YouTube permanently right now, or do you have some other plans for that?
1: Well, uh, to be honest, I'm not sure if we uh, if we'll be switching completely. Most probably, we'll be still balancing between uh, two platforms. I think YouTube Premiere really works nice for uh, for us because uh, it, it's nice to create this uh, kind of. Uh, Anticipation just yeah. before the the broadcast or the video will uh, will start, but of course, which is the best when it comes for the uh, not pre-recorded but for live stuff. So I think it's not like it's either one or another. I think we'll be present on both platforms depending on what exactly we want to show you guys and uh, also if uh, the live interaction with the chat is important because I, I remember some very nice examples when uh, Buja and Jason were uh, on stream, just reading questions from the chat and uh, doing comments. I mean, on the official the devs dev stream video, not the unofficial Jason's uh, video with with Buja. And it was very, very cool.
2: Yeah, I think I, I really enjoyed like those you know private stream shenanigans with uh, with jason and uh, and the other devs. That would be awesome to have like other people from the team. Uh, doing the same thing just to you know to know the team better to know their point of view to know uh the minds behind the game that'd be pretty awesome i think
0: actually that's that's another question we can ask how how did you guys feel when jason started doing his yolo twitch streams just completely ignoring any kind of community guidelines and just streaming (laughs) on his own leaking everything Oh, it, it's
1: not like that. I think uh, of, of course, uh, you know we were watching these streams, and we would let Jason know if uh, something is uh, if he's leaking too much or or something crazy is going on. So it's not uh, like it's it's a complete YOLO uh, thing. I think that these streams are amazing because it's a little bit more unofficial and uh, less. Uh, strict than the official stuff that we're doing from the studio and whatnot. And also, you know, this home atmosphere, also, I think adding a, a little bit of a special flavor uh, during this period of uh, pandemic isolation. So, I, I'm a big fan of this. I also really like the fact that more people from Gwent team are getting the spotlight. Uh, so, there are less unknown heroes or uh, just unknown developers working behind the game. And there are more and more people that can talk about the stuff that they're working, share the excitement. I think that the stream with uh, Ola Rutkowska was very, very awesome in this regard. Because I know she's awesome because we I work with her every day. Uh, but for for the community, it, it was so far pretty much unknown person. So it's very cool when uh, new devs are you know, stepping into the spotlight this way.
0: Uh, speaking of new faces, we actually got a new community manager. So I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, when are we going to see her for the first time in such a setting?
2: Here, you didn't know that? <laughs> She's going to come to our stream.
0: Uh, uh, something, something happened. Vlad, Vlad lost connection for a moment.
2: All right, don't worry, guys. Now we can think about the questions for Vlad, guys. If you have any questions, just type them in chat. And we're going to ask them at the end of the stream. So make sure you're asking really um, you know, um, good questions so we can get some additional leaks, uh, maybe, from Vlad. Uh, well, still, we have a lot of um, interesting ones in our pockets. But as usual, we need your help.
0: And Vlad is back. What happened?
1: I think my my internet connection decided to die for a second. So if I missed anything in the last couple of seconds, please. No, no, we just we just asked that.
0: when when are we gonna see Anna, the new community manager, you know, either on a developer stream or any kind of public setting, so that we can get to know each other. Oh, um,
1: I I hope soon enough. Like I I don't want to you know to exert any kind of a pressure. I think it should happen uh, organically and. Uh, I'm just excited that the, the team is being expanded, and there will be you know more people interacting with the community. So I think soon enough is the, the answer.
0: Awesome, um, mm-hmm. you know we've been talking about uh, a lot about the expansion and and everything related to that, but that's not the only thing when that that you know people are talking about. Obviously, we have the draft mode and oh yeah from what i've i've seen a lot of people are playing it like it it seems to me it's it has become the favorite mode for 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 many people so the the question is are you guys happy with how things unfolded and what can we expect from the mode in the future Uh, you know especially regarding pricing and rewards because i can imagine that this free format is not gonna last forever that it's only here for you know the early access. Yeah, right. So I think
1: the 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 real purpose of their early access uh, launch is for us to uh, to get exactly this to get all kinds of feedback and understanding what what people are excited about, what they're less excited about, or what they hate even uh, with with the new mode. For us, it's uh, like. Relatively big experiment, because it's, uh, I would say, drastically different from the old Arena. Maybe only the high-level concept is uh, the same, that uh, you don't play with the pre-constructed deck, but you're you're building your, your deck on the fly. Everything else is pretty much different. And so there is a lot of changes, and I can totally See that some people are expressing they love for the new format. Some people are saying that uh, they prefer the old arena more. But in terms of the you know the, the numbers and popularity, clearly we see that uh, the draft is more popular than the old arena was. So that's one thing. Uh, in terms of uh, how satisfied we are, I would say that. It's it's really early to say because we're just the beginning of uh, of the journey for uh, for draft. Like the, the early access means that we will be constantly evolving this mode, and it's uh, it's really the plan. Like uh, we have a lot of tools to to do that, from you know adding new cards and uh, editing packages to adding new features and uh, functionalities. I think definitely the big uh, big thing to tackle, big feature to to add is to have a meaningful progression system, because right now it's more more of a sandboxish kind of thing in which you're basically setting up goals for yourself, play until seven wins, or I don't know, create the the craziest uh, deck possible with uh, like crazy cleaning and whatnot. Uh, but I think it would be nice to give some goals for for players uh, to work towards too and uh, like if if the rewards are are fitting somewhere into this uh, progression system then we should think about introducing those as well.
0: Um, You know, speaking of crazy combos, there there is something I absolutely have to ask. What's the deal with having either Gort or Alzor as your core card and not getting a single spell option throughout the draft?
1: I think it's just a configuration a hiccup and uh, this, this is something that we should address in one of the uh, future updates to, just to ensure that uh, the synergy is working as intended
0: yeah because i found it funny that you know i i had an ama- amazing Alzur deck without a single spell i mean uh-huh. it, it, it was still a seven win deck, so i was really happy with that but i just i just found it hilarious you know okay Alzur, yeah i'm gonna get all these cool effects now not a single spell.
1: Well, yeah, I guess it's just uh, a little bit more random than, than we wanted. Because, you know, uh, the other thing which I would personally hate to see draft becoming is becoming another another ranked or another constructed in this sense, so even though the synergies should be meaningful, and your your draft deck should feel like a deck, not just a, like a pile of cards. Uh, at the same time, it shouldn't be super optimized because otherwise, what's the point, right? Like you you should uh, there should still be some element of unpredictability and also dependency on your decision. So there is no like perfect uh, script or perfect scenario that you should follow in order to build the decks which will rule them all.
0: Yeah that, that explains it though. Like it shouldn't be like arena where it's just a pile of cards, but it also shouldn't be it shouldn't be ranked. So it's it's still gonna take a lot of time to properly balance it. And when do you guys expect it to you know enter the next stage? So be you know, be out of early access and then move to I don't know like like a beta stage or whatever you guys have in mind. Oh I, will, I would say
1: that the the next uh, stage, you know, big stage uh, would be uh, turning the early access into the full scale release. So there is no, you know, multiple stages like alpha, beta, gamma, and so on. So uh, it, it definitely will happen next year, but I, I don't want to to commit our, our uh, especially the dev team to to any particular date or, or months yet. One important thing to say is that it's the the draft is designed as this as a kind of a, a stream of constant improvements to be released, right? So for you can expect pretty much the, the draft uh, to receive some improvements and some updates uh, with with every with every month until we are in this shape in which uh, we we could we can consider this as a finished product. Like this is already perfect. Like we we. Uh, got exactly what we wanted Uh, players also happy in this case we can put a release tag uh, on it instead of the early access and just uh, make it official
0: and do you guys plan to organize draft tournaments or draft events
1: well surely to say about that because with with tournaments um, like right now i think it's would be rather difficult to to do because uh, the system is completely random when it when it comes to matchmaking, meaning that, uh, like for example, tournament platform not supporting uh, draft at the moment, etc. Uh, but I think it would be nice to explore in the future. I, I don't I don't personally think that this is a requirement for going into the full release, but as a kind of a you know stretch goal for the future, sure, that that makes a lot of sense to me.
0: Okay, I think I think uh this answers all the questions we had about the draft mode. So uh what else do yeah, we have in this second?
2: Especially that last part. Uh this is something that we've been really waiting for. I I'm really hoping still and, and begging you guys if you're considering making it a competitive mode in the future, let's make it. <laughs> <laughs> that would be really awesome for that mode, I think, and people would love it. Uh but yeah, let's let's move to the journey. um, um I think like a lot of people were thinking uh, that that one journey right after another might be a bit too much for uh, for their I don't know time management, for their wallets uh, or whatnot. But what's your take on that, guys? Is it like uh, giving that content really crucial for the game right now, or uh, what was the reasoning behind that?
1: Well, uh... I think we, we kind of have the answer uh, to your questions based on the situation that we had be- between Journey 1 and Journey 2 release, uh, when we had a one month without uh, Journey, and we had some other activities uh, run at the same time called the uh, Gunter's Ultimate Challenge, I believe. But uh, you know, based on the feedback that we received, also based on the overall engagement of players that we uh, witnessed during this period, I don't think that having these uh, breaks between journey journeys are optimal or healthy uh, for the game, first of all, because you know journey replaced the old progression system uh, with, uh, with winning rounds and getting uh, Crown House in Gwent. And once journey is not on, not active. Uh, it basically creates a vacuum, right? So uh, we we either need to build something completely different, just as a placeholder, to to buy time before a new journey will arrive, or it will become very slow and unexciting period for players. So with that being said, uh, it's actually very challenging for the team as well to develop journeys in the in the rate of uh, you know to having them back to back. But we do believe that it's important just to ensure that at any point of the year, uh, as a Gwent player, you understand that, OK, I have a really exciting goals to work towards too. I have uh, reasons to play game, if not on a the daily, then at least, I don't know, on a weekly basis, and uh, kind of catch up with my quests and uh, have some uh, either reward points or vanities to unlock. So with, in this sense, I, I think that uh, having back-to-back journeys is a is a positive thing. Now, with that being said, I do understand that with uh, series journeys, I think we uh, we made some assumptions which uh, proved to be wrong regarding uh, like how the progression should look beyond level one hundred. So we which uh, led to a lot of people feeling a burnout a bit or. Uh, too tired from you know grinding the top rewards. Even though those rewards, of course, are totally uh, optional. But you know we can't really tell players like you should care about this reward or you shouldn't care about this reward. Yeah. So in this sense, uh, we we with with our Journey, I hope we manage to limit this grind in a in a way that it's much more healthy now, and people don't feel that they're obliged to grind above level 100 and and now i think the goal is set a bit more reasonable
0: oh definitely because you can also complete the contracts after uh the Mm -hmm. journey expires if i'm not mistaken yes yeah so that gives people you know players a lot of flexibility but um yeah I, i i also understand when you know the complaints about the grindiness of the journey come from but you know as you said you know the system is now set up in in such a way that you'd have to basically create another event if there was no journey like personally i don't mind uh, I, I i incidentally have a little bit more time on my hands right now so uh i can i can grind
2: <laughs> yeah but you know it doesn't feel like a grind right now i think in this format it it can function like back to back obviously in the future next year and I think people are going to be satisfied. And I like the fact that you can use uh, all the cosmetics that you're getting and completing uh, additional contracts with that, because you know that actually uh, forces people, pushes people into using these cosmetics, and makes them feel that they are actually, you know, uh, doing something with the new things, not just using the same, the favorite um uh, for example skin or or girl skin or or Siri right so that makes a lot of sense because we have a lot of cosmetics and we have to make people use them somehow right because either way uh, you know they are they are going to keep getting them so that's... there is
1: nothing wrong from from my perspective if uh, someone has like his Favorite set of uh, vanities and never changes those and always plays with the same card back or I don't know the same even default skin, uh, but at the same time you know a lot of players they are craving for more and uh, there is a lot of uh, collectors which for them basically the goal of playing went is to unlock more stuff and to, yeah. to get more stuff. So for we also need to to think about uh, these people. And uh, that's why we're trying to produce more exciting and really cool stuff and also experimenting with new kinds of vanities. Because let me just remind you that uh, until recently, for example, we, we didn't have such thing as coin, for example, right? So coins are, are the example of the completely new vanities. Until this year, we didn't have animated uh, avatars and borders, right? So the, the avatars, I think the first one was actually introduced with um, with the pack for Open One, if I remember correctly. So that that was very uh, exciting stuff, and uh, yeah, like this is a never-ending uh, challenge for us to come up with new kinds of vanities and also kind of raising the the bar for the existing types of uh, vanities to make them more and more exciting.
2: Yeah, um, absolutely, that, that makes sense.
0: You know, th- there is something I ask, asked multiple times on this podcast. What about cross-character equipables? For example, you yeah, have mm. the Geralt swords. What about the option to also equip those swords if you are using the uh, Ciri skin?
1: You mean between Geralt and Ciri, for example? For, for example, yeah. I think it's
0: not completely impossible.
1: Like the the only problem that I see is that when we're designing this uh, so called trinkets, uh, would it be uh, like pieces of uh, clothes or uh, weapons or some some other um, items for the characters? We're trying to uh, <clears throat> to design them with the thoughts of the particular character in mind. Like what, for example, if it's Geralt, like which uh, swords he was actually using in the Witcher games were uh, some some weapons that uh, players can recognize from their playthroughs. So uh, there is also this lore element, and uh, the the true connoisseurs and, and fans of uh, the Witcher universe they can say, "Oh, I remember this sword! Like I was fighting this monster in the Witcher three with it. Now I should get it." I think uh, having this this items universal and equipable between multiple characters kind of Defeats this purpose, but I'm not you know one hundred percent opposed this. Maybe we'll figure out to the way to make it uh, to make it work in a smart way.
0: All right. that definitely answers my question because I think I think when Pavel was here, he said, like, nah, it's not really gonna work. But now we are moving to it's not entirely impossible.
1: I mean, everything is possible. It's just uh, some things are uh, let's say, less rewarding. When when you get them, both for players and from let's say uh, either engagement or monetization perspective uh, from our side as well. So what the real challenge is you know to pick our battles uh, smartly. You know as, as developers, like this is like the endless opportunities uh, landscape, and so we, we at, at any point of time we can decide to invest into one area or into another, and uh, sometimes like some things are just low hanging fruits and it's a no brainer we don't really need to spend time to to decide if we if we should do it or not we can just do it and see the results immediately but with with some other things which require a lot of development and a lot of design uh, process a lot of testing maybe it's not as straightforward because uh, investing into something like that would mean not doing something else which might be either equally or more important
0: and, you know, speaking of low um, hanging fruits or, you know, things that seem very obvious, uh, board elements, because you guys um, keep selling the entire board, but what about mm-hmm. giving uh, players the option to, you know, win or, or purchase certain, eleme- uh, you know, board elements, like, you know, like weapons or, or, or chests or, or, you know, essentially anything that you could place on a board to make it more to your liking?
1: How about this? You can purchase like a sentry tower, which will be placed on your board and it will uh, eventually shoot down your opponent's units. What do you think? (laughs)
0: Sounds sounds good to me. Okay.
2: Gwen Tower,
1: you You first heard it here on stream. No, I mean uh, seriously though, uh, it's a uh, it's a nice idea. I I don't want to to give any uh, promises here, but uh, I, I, c- I can just tell you that we were thinking into these directions already. All right. No, not about the the towers which are shooting cards, but about <laughs> the the let's say vanity elements on the board, just to, yeah. to avoid any confusion.
0: I mean, you just you just you just said you know to avoid any confusion. It was just a joke. And I can already see Jason thinking, hmm, that's not a good idea. Yeah,
1: because we already have a ballista on, on the shipboard, right? Did you know that if you click on this, uh, it will shoot just out of, the, out of the board somewhere into the ocean? Yeah. So the, the the concept of the weapons that are working is there. It's just not directed to, uh, to anyone at
2: the moment. No. All right. We actually have one more question. I, I was telling guys in chat that we'll be asking questions by the mm-hmm. end of the stream, but one more uh, about the journey here, and I think it's pretty decent. Like, uh, how does the fee the team feel about balancing between well-known characters for journey, like Geralt and Ciri, and introducing or fleshing out less known characters or characters with less lore, like Alzor?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is a great question. Uh, like, obviously, with uh, Geralt and Ciri journeys, we were kind of Doing the obvious things, you know, using the the most recognizable characters from The Witcher three with Alzar, it's a step into the completely different direction, which I think very interesting and experimental for us. Um, I think exploring the the universe uh, because you know Alzar, of course, was mentioned in the books. Uh, it's not like he we we invented uh, Alzar's name and. Uh, he was, but at the same time, it's very little of a description given about him, which uh, gives us the the freedom to explore, uh, freedom to come up with things about his biography, about his role into how the events of the the Witcher uh, were unfolding even before the Geralt's time. So, what, what's kind of like you know the prequel. Stuff. Uh, so I, I personally find it very exciting. Of course, it's it also comes down to how players are receiving this, because I understand that uh, some some players may be disappointed because they were expecting to see another famous character, and maybe people already have a list of of characters that they would like to see as uh, headliners for for journeys. I think mm-hmm. that the healthy approach would be to mix and match, meaning that. Uh, It's not like we were switching completely to unknown, unexplored characters from now on. Uh, In fact, we already have plans to to bring some known characters in the future journeys, but uh, at the same time, I think eventually having journeys dedicated to not so well established in the lore, uh, characters can be very exciting, especially if we will find also better synergy between journeys and expansions. Because I think what's also very cool about uh, Alzar's journey and Way of the Witcher expansion is that we can find some uh, like intersections, right? So Alzar actually present in, in both uh, in both releases, which makes it cool. And uh, I think. Exploiting this synergy is really a wise move, and we will try to do it more when, when it's reasonable and when it's possible in the future.
2: Yeah, absolutely agreed. I think that most of the people would like to see more about uh, the lore of some other less-known characters. And yeah, I think this is pretty straightforward for uh, less fleshed-out characters uh, in the ritual lore. People want to know more, uh, just like they liked, for example, the lore that CDPR came up with uh, during The Witcher 3 or the other games, and it pretty much makes sense. Uh, and it's, it's it's valuable as well, not only the main characters of, of the books or of the games. Yeah. But uh, the next topic we wanted to start uh, is that the end of the year is slowly approaching, and we were kind of used to uh, you guys going for some sort of a um, you know map for the next year, uh, and is this is there any plan for laying out something about the twenty twenty one? Yes,
1: uh, we 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 probably uh, not probably we actually will be revealing a bit more uh, of our plans or also on uh, Workmasters so once again December five and six. <laughs> don't don't mar- mark your calendars, guys. Uh, one one thing you know to set up the expectations properly, because I think uh, it, it happened with the previous uh, stream which we we had during last open, is that it's uh, I see that you know there is expectations that we will be releasing like a full blown uh, roadmaps which we were trying to to move out uh, from, and I think uh, you know Jason was was talking about this last time as well. Like we, we feel that. Uh, the value, of the roadmap is clear from the players' perspective. First of all, you guys get kind of uh, the confirmation that oh yes, we're we're here uh, for a long haul, uh, copyright, uh, and uh, like there are long-term plans to to develop the game. But uh, apart from that, us releasing a detailed uh, roadmaps is having this uh, this flip side. Of uh, committing to to particular release dates or or the cadences, which we might be not entirely uh, comfortable uh, at the moment of such releases. So I think what what uh, when uh, you guys are asking for roadmap, I think what you're really asking is. Uh, uh, what, what's what's in store and uh, what will be the next priorities when it comes to the releases and what are the main features that you can expect in the foreseeable future and that's something that we were of course were uh, planning to uh, communicate so uh yeah you, you can expect more glimpses into the future in uh, 2021 plans including some of the plans regarding esports uh seasons or so season uh s3 uh on on the december stream
0: awesome. yeah so remember so, yeah it it seems like the world masters is gonna be very fruitful in terms of new information and, and on all kinds of leaks not not only uh, you know uh, things that we already discussed, but also the plan for twenty twenty one um but there's one more thing i i I wanted to ask because we talked about drought, we talked about journey, alternative modes um and this is a question we've got from reddit uh what about seasonal events such as faction challenges? Are they coming back in any capacity
1: right, so uh, the short answer is yes. Uh, we would like to to have challenges or I don't know about the the name of the event. maybe we'll', we'll rebrand them somehow. The point is that uh, we understand sometimes when uh, there are quiet months where without uh, major releases or uh, maybe it's it's not the the months when just journey was launched or something like that. it's uh, it It can become a little bit boring to play just just for fun, and uh, there should be some additional uh, challenges for our events uh, for people to explore. Uh, I think the problem with faction challenges was that it it became a little bit too predictable and uh, maybe a bit boring, to be perfectly honest. Uh, we would like to experiment with this format more to to make it more meaningful. Uh, so it's uh, not just about you know grinding for for the faction that has the better chances to win or, or something like that, but it, it's really an interesting event in which participation feels special and uh, it feels that okay I'm really doing something for you know to shape uh, the course of the event. Uh, my contribution, so to say, really matters. For the, for the overall results, and results also matters in terms of the rewards and whatnot. It's definitely not an easy task to tackle, uh, because I think uh, even the faction challenges, since they were first introduced, I don't remember how long time ago it was exactly, but quite quite a long time. Maybe it was uh, before Homecoming. Maybe it was, yeah, I think it was uh, around Homecoming. that time. Before Homecoming. OK, so yeah. it's been a while, and uh, it also survived, like, multiple iterations we were constantly experimenting with it and it, it's, it, it became better uh, along this time but we still were not quite satisfied with the shape uh, challenges we're in so i do recognize that there is a there is a request from the community and the need for more uh, engagement events like this uh, but i think we we should just spend a little bit more time to to figure out and nail down the perfect formula. Like I'm actually curious about your opinion, guys. Uh, what do you think about uh, yoruga uh, challenge that we introduced, I think, in, in September? Because from from my perspective, that was a quite interesting take on the challenge.
2: Yeah, I know that a lot of people were saying that you know hiding that behind a paywall uh, might be a bad idea, but I really liked it. And I, I don't think that it was like, you know the, the price was um, so high so that people cannot, for example, just you know save up on that and, and pick it up if they want it. Um, maybe, you know, making it a bit harder to get in the journey, right? Somehow linking it with the, with the journey and with some other contracts, and then uh, exploring it later on as well, with some additional contracts after equipping the board would make sense as well but you know in, in the end i think that was pretty all right in my opinion
0: yeah i i don't really have an opinion because um despite giving away three copies of the board i didn't get one myself <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah I, I obviously knew about the about um you know the quest the challenge uh regarding the board uh but for for some strange reason i i was late when it comes to buying it I thought, oh, I still have enough time. And then, you know, I, I completely forgot about that. And when I wanted to buy it, it was already gone.
1: You know, like, uh, from, from my perspective, uh, the right direction with challenges is to have a strong theme. Like, that, that's one of the reasons why I like Yoruga. It's uh, less about the, the monetization element of it. Although it's also important, you know, to kind of justify uh, the development time which which goes into this. But it's more it's more about really... How do we explain this? Because let's say if we will introduce uh, faction challenges the way they were working a couple of years ago or a year ago, where it just all of a sudden, you know, out of nowhere, okay, uh, northern realms versus uh, monsters, go. Uh, Mm -hmm. Like I I don't think that there is a lot of uh, theme into this, and it's like players are forced to to kind of you know build. Uh, Builded this, this whole uh, uh, like fighting and, and all this uh, defiance between between factions uh, in their own minds, but with Yeruga, at least the theme was really strong. We actually explained like what this is about. We had a nice trailer. Which showed like uh, favorite characters, and uh, people, of course, knew about this, this battle from the lore. So, I think personally, I think this is a direction for us to take in a sense of okay, every challenge is something special. It's not just some default activity which we're running on the regular basis and no one really cares about because it's just uh, like a, a small grind mechanism.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, if you put it that way, I think it makes perfect sense. And uh, yeah, I think that, you know, CDPR is so good at bringing up some unknown lore parts or creating their own that, you know, building it around some cosmetics, some vanities would only make sense and and make it more exciting and definitely would justify, for example, you know, the, the purchase of such vanity. Absolutely.
0: Uh, you know, before we end this segment, uh you were talking a lot about um the strong theme and storytelling. Just to be sure, because it, it's it's the kind of question that pops up on Brandon mm. every every now and then. You guys are not working on another throne breaker.
1: No, another throne breaker is not in
0: the works. Okay, just, just you know all about it. People people often ask about it because they discover hey we have Thronebreaker, so they start playing, they, they like it, and they keep asking, oh, are we getting another game of this kind? And I know that you guys said multiple times that, you know, it didn't meet the expectations in terms of sales. But, you know, whenever we have a developer on the podcast, uh, I feel like asking just to be sure. <laughs> but, you know, I think, I think this concludes this segment. So, um, we are moving to the territory of competitive Gwent all right and uh, that's your field of expertise so um, the first question is like you already you know leaked a lot of things about the world masters but what can we expect in terms of setting and visuals because obviously you know the masters is a cherry on top is the event to you know double them all
1: Exactly, yes, and uh, it, it kind of breaks my heart that we have to do this event uh, online. i as much as I'm happy that uh, we managed to switch uh, all our eSports events into online this year, and it was kind of inevitable. Uh, I, I also feel that you know online mode has a lot of restrictions when it comes to the production value. Like literally, we can't have a Picas studio, we can't have a confetti uh we can't have uh, players facing each other in the same room you know all the emotions all this tension so like you know it it, it just it, it's even hard to talk about this but at the same time i can assure you that we will do our best in order to replicate as much as we can from this uh, offline event excitement excitement to uh to the online format uh like for sure you can expect uh like fancier uh, on-stream graphics and uh, assets and uh, animations for people that care about you know like small details like this. I think another leak which uh, I can share, maybe some people already heard some rumors about it or uh, some discussions about it, is that we would like to uh, to bring back uh, Flake into the caster seed. Uh, and uh, uh still will be with us, but uh, will help in the in the different capacity as an analytic, which uh, you know we we kind of already worked in this format before, and it also was awesome. So uh, you can expect like basically bigger uh, production value by by having also the analyst, which uh, will be such a professional analyst as uh, Shinmiri, of course which will be able to put additional insights into the uh, deck lists of uh, players that they brought or for example analyzing like how how the games were uh, were going after the matches and uh, i see some questions in the in the chat related to this uh, yes there will be special rewards for watching uh, world masters of course uh, you can expect more and uh, another leak kind of you know, partial, leak over leak. Uh, you might want to uh, to follow the news next week, I think Tuesday. Uh, there will be one important uh, announcement regarding uh, World Masters, which uh, I think all people will be excited about.
0: Announcing the announcement, classic.
1: Classic, <laughs> yes. Classic.
2: All right, there's also a question about Shimuri. Um... Being the only analyst for World Masters, or are we? Can we reveal the other one, or are there any other ones?
1: No, uh, we. Uh, uh, so far, he's he's the only analyst. I think he's totally capable of, uh, of doing this alone. Although, for for the future, for season three, we might uh, we might look into the reshaping our caster slash analyst lineup. I think we, we worked with with the lineup for for a little long time, and it was very cool. But I'm also open to the possibilities of giving chance actually to uh, uh, to the to the new streamers and uh, potential casters to to prove themselves. Because right. what was exciting about this year is that uh, there were quite a lot of community tournaments. Some of them were really uh, cool and professional uh, in this sense. So. Uh, some of the casters managed to impress me and the team with with the level of their uh, professionalism and with the level of their approach. So, I, I think I think there is some room for experiments for us next year.
2: Nice. This is also another semi league So uh, the... yeah.
1: This is a good comment right now in the chat that uh, knowing Shinmiri, he could do analyst caster, and interviewer, and still play himself in the meantime. Yes, but he'll he'll he will be roping as hell in this case. So we can't, we can't let.
2: Him. All right, and yeah, it's it's time for a short summary as well for the season two in general. We asked that question Pavel too. And um yeah, how do you look at the season two? Are you happy with how it played out? Was the online format um, satisfying for you guys? And are you planning to continue doing that if the corona situation uh, continues, or even without the corona situation? Uh, yes,
1: yeah, so with season two, I think overall, of course, we we didn't finish it yet, so it's it's too early to close the book uh, completely on this one. But uh, so far, I'm pretty satisfied. As I said, it was a little bit, a bit disappointing for me that we were not able to uh, to have these awesome events uh, offline. I think it really always adds to the to the quality of the production. But all things considered. I think the changes to the format, uh, to the format that we made uh, between uh, seasons one and season two, really were positive. I actually was uh, speaking with a lot of pro players, uh, you know, getting their feedback and asking them questions if they they like the new format and what they don't like about this new format. I think we we arrived at a pretty good uh, solution. Uh, all things considered, like there, the, there are still some some things for us to to fix. But uh, on on the previous stream on Open Four, I was already talking about uh, you know moving uh, out from uh, licensed tournaments and introducing introducing rewards for uh, CP rewards for qualifier uh, winners and runner ups. So. I think with, with some of these minor changes the overall system is pretty good like I do believe that we have a healthy foundation for the scene especially if the next year in terms of the pandemic situation won't be much better than this one I hope it's not the case but you know we have to plan for worse uh, and yeah. uh, in this sense I do believe that we have a working system with a proven concept which we can uh, continue
0: all right. And, um, you know, to, to follow up on that, um, you know, what were the largest, you know, issues that you had to overcome in order to make the season happen? Because, you know, I can, I can imagine that, uh, you know, putting it together on a sh- such a short notice uh, was quite a challenge.
1: Yes, uh, it, it was, and uh, you know, from from production perspective, it's still very challenging. Unfortunately, every time we're doing the event, we have some hiccups uh, here and there. You know, people that are watching uh, the uh, the whole event, they know what I'm talking about. Uh, sometimes there are some delays. Sometimes we we have some issues with the the connection on stream. Uh, like it's it's so very painful. It takes a lot of effort from the team uh, to work on these things to quickly fix if something is broken in the middle of the tournament so yeah it's a lot of effort uh but uh i also must say that we uh fortunately we had some time to prepare because first two opens uh we had the external production company that uh, here here in poland that helped us with the production so we had a chance to uh, to get ready to take this in house and to make sure that we could, we can do it from our own studio. Um, and uh, I think right now we're in a much better shape than in the beginning of the year, where we basically had almost no one who could do these events uh, in online format. And right now we have a very nice team that uh, know what they're doing.
2: All right. And also we have a pretty interesting question from Chad as well. Uh, have you guys considered looking into casting the qualifiers officially?
1: yes, yes for well, I was thinking about this even for this year, but since the tournament platform release got delayed versus the original uh, expectations and I think uh, we're still struggling with uh, you know fixing some of the very annoying bugs which sometimes preventing people from uh, playing in the tournaments or casting the tournaments. I'm really sorry about these issues. Uh, I think also when I was uh, you know, uh, talking on stream for Open 4, I was a little bit more optimistic than, than needed. And <laughs> uh, Regarding the state of the tournament platform, uh, we actually, after the stream was done, we received quite a few reports that, OK, this doesn't work and that doesn't work. Which is right now is being fixed, uh, but still, it's 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 a complicated project, so to say. It's uh, very clunky when it comes to the uh, to everything which happens uh, behind the scenes on the tournament platform. You know, like all this back end, front end uh, connections, and multiple things can be uh, can be broken without us realizing this until until the tournament is on. So. I, I hope that this will be fixed soon. Uh, basically, ASAP. and uh, once we we can be comfortable with you know trusting to the tournament platform to handle spectators uh, well, uh, we can totally uh, have the maybe you know maybe not the, the full day of qualifiers because it will yeah. be super long. long. But I think if we will. Like pick the the featured matches properly. So maybe I don't know, maybe semifinals and finals, maybe something like that. It, yeah. It's totally doable. And uh, we we can I definitely agree that there is a value of uh, seeing how uh, how players are playing on this level.
2: yeah, I definitely think that people would like to see the lineups from the qualifiers because they are. In a lot of uh, situations, they are different from the ones that are played on the, during the tournament, right? Because uh, of course, this, this qualifiers set up, um, you know, favors a certain decks and certain strategies. So people are are actually using that. So yeah, that'd be pretty awesome. All right, uh, let's jump to maybe a bit sadder uh, story of the first Masters finale. Uh, are there any news on the first Masters, and when do we expect to know more about that?
1: Right, I don't have much to to add to uh to the latest update uh, that I gave at uh, open for. So as you know, we uh postponed the master's uh, season 1 uh final to next year. Uh like the, the original let's say ETA was uh, Q1. It still is, but uh of course we will be looking at the situation with with the pandemic early next year just to understand if it will it will make sense for us to wait for the situation to be better, so we could uh, organize it offline with like awesome production value and whatnot. Uh, but if it won't be the case, we're of course not intending you know to wait for another year or even six months uh, more uh, to have it. So we will be then switching to the online and just uh, trying to salvage as much as we can from. Our our old offline production plans and try to uh, to transfer this into the online format.
2: Yeah, yeah, makes sense. All right, and and do we have like the ready setup uh, of the players for for World Masters one, or is yes, it yes. still a subject to, to change?
1: Uh, no, no, it's 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 pretty much uh, the lineup is known already by the by that moment.
2: All right, all right, pretty great, and. Um, Okay, so are you planning to implement like any um significant changes to the concept and setting moving forward when we like come up come out of the uh, pandemic situation uh, or or it's pretty much uh, you're satisfied with the setups that you had uh, organized before?
1: For the offline events, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we we always experimenting with those. I think when the pandemic will be finally over and we could back to the studio, the first and foremost thing for us would be to remember how to do it offline because you know <laughs> when you're not doing something for a long time, yeah. it, it always takes uh, some time just to to remember the basics. Uh, and then once we can we can have this maybe a, Assuming it will happen sometime in the middle of the next year, then it means that we could have one open in the new, in, once again in the offline format. Uh, we will see how it will go, and then uh, we would use this as a baseline for the future improvements. Like right now, all I know is that we will continue to use, uh, to use the uh, the R Studio. Uh, for this, and uh, right now we're not planning to move the action uh, to for for opens at List to any, any other location. But that that's that's it basically. All right,
2: great, great. Oh yeah, people here are asking about the lineup again. Uh, well, Vlad's told us that the lineup is already set up. But yeah, another question: Like Hanna Chen or Casper are gonna play in World Masters one? You don't have like any you know cancellations, rejections from them.
1: Well, actually, maybe, maybe I need to clarify here a little bit. It's, it's set up in the sense that we know who is eligible. But uh, uh, as you remember, uh, like last year, there, was, there were some changes in the lineup based on the availability and desire to play from players. So I'm talking about life coach here, right? So yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he's, uh, like legally, he's still eligible to, to, to take his spot. So once we will have a new date and uh, we could pinpoint it, and we will be inviting players. He's still first on the line to receive this invitation, and based on his reply, uh, like all, all future replacements might be taken or not taken. So we were not taking away his spot based on the, the fact that he refused uh, once.
0: All right, makes that sense. makes sense. <clears throat> yeah. And um, you know, with, with that being said. It's the end of the year, so Season 3 about to start uh, you know, in a couple of months. So what can we expect from, from that? What can we expect from Season 3? What kind of changes um, are, you, are you looking at right now compared to Season 2?
1: Well, I think I touched on this briefly. But in, the, in short, the, the main changes would be that there will be more sources of crown points. Uh, from from placing high in the qualifiers for players. Uh, another change is that we are, uh, we, we're we no longer will be doing licensed tournaments, meaning that uh, it will be impossible at the same time to win crown points in the uh, in the non-official tournaments. Like, this is the, the two changes which are most prominent. Basically, we're keeping the old system with the same number of qualifiers, same number of opens, uh, and of course, uh, world masters at the end. And uh, I think what else, I, what, uh, another thing which I can mention is that I am very satisfied with how our little experiment uh, with season two uh, crowdfunding elements in esports uh, was doing was uh, when we gave the opportunity for people to support the, the Pro scene by purchasing certain bundles and packs. Uh, definitely, we would like to extend it for, for the next year. I, I think it, it was a success so far, and uh, that's something that I'm excited for for Season 3 as well.
0: All right. Um, Hazard, do we have any more questions regarding the competitive scene?
2: Uh, well, we have one, uh, and we can actually mention something else um, connected with that question, too. Uh, one person was asking, what's the prize pool for Masters Two so far? And by the way, guys, you can actually contribute uh, to that pool. Uh, Vlad, we yes. posted not so long ago a tweet on Twitter, I'm going to send it here in chat. But yeah, Vlad, could you elaborate on that?
1: Yeah, I don't know if you can tell you already like what's the what's the price pool. I mean, sure, okay, I, I will tell you. So 50k is the base price pool, 50k USD that CDPR provides. That hasn't changed. I think the the mystery and maybe what you're actually uh, asking about is how much money were already generated by the sales of, uh, where rat bundle, where at, where red year bundle, the one with the sewers board and the the Wraith skin yeah. which was contributing to the uh, to the price pool of uh, masters all year long this i won't share it yet i can tell you that it's a substantial amount of money so uh it, it's not peanuts and uh, i'm definitely very thankful for uh, players for all their support but we would like to reveal the the final numbers uh once the period for this you know for for the crowdfunding opportunities will be over which will be just shortly maybe a couple of days before uh the tournament will start in december because still the where red bundle is contributing to this but also as i is in this tweet that you uh, quoted uh we also brought back all bundles which were previously contributing to different opens uh so they once again available for purchase and this time 30 percent of the proceeds are going also to boost the, the price pool of, uh, of World
2: Masters Season 2.
1: So let, let's see if, uh, if we will manage to double it or not.
2: <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Well, 50k is already a pretty substantial amount of money. But if you're saying that uh, we have still more uh, to get from the community, then definitely it's going to be even better for the players. Yeah, pretty cool.
0: Yeah initially initially i was kind of skeptical about the community aspect of the prize pool but uh you know so far so good uh the, the community hasn't disappointed the prize pool has always been uh substantially you know impacted by uh by by uh by the bundles so uh you know, you're saying we can we can we are hoping to double the price for the masters i think it's achievable considering how generous the community tends to be um yeah, but much it. if we don't have any more questions about the competitive wind, then uh we should move towards the personal QA where we are gonna ask about your background and your work and what you're doing. And the first question is um could you shed some light on your typical day to day routine as a Light Ops director? Like what are your typical tasks? Um, you know, especially when we are in the so called off season. Well, the, the
1: so-called off-season is only applicable to the eSports, right? And uh, actually, eSports these days occupies very little uh, of my time. And it, that's true even when the season is on. Uh, I'm, I'm still you know in charge of all our eSports activities, but uh, I just don't have the same uh, focus and I'm used to in the beginning of uh, of my work there in City Project. So, uh, majority of my time, actually, right now, goes into analyzing how the game is doing in terms of business, uh, understanding what's the player sentiment around the new features which we're introducing or activities that we're running, stuff like that. Uh, finding new ways for optimize how to optimize and improve the health of the game, which means are uh, the the key metrics which we're Uh, following uh, both on the engagement and on monetization fronts. And of course, I'm still working very close with the comms team, uh, which is right now led by Buja, uh, uh, for all things related to the communication. So it's not only about the gathering feedback, but also how we're announcing uh, our plans, how we're explaining uh, the new features and uh, why we're doing certain things. So that that's also uh, my area of interest and my area of responsibilities. When esports season is on, uh, I'm of course responsible for planning uh, all our tournaments and what exactly will be happening. So I'm planning so-called uh, run of the show for each of the Opens and Masters, and also. Less fun part of, of my responsibility is, is taking care of uh, the paperwork because you know every time we're working with some amazing talents and uh, sometimes with partners, such as external studios or vendors, and uh, it also requires some inevitable paperwork for signing these deals and uh, making sure that everyone gets paid and whatnot.
2: All right, we have actually a follow up for that one as well from the chat. Uh, how do you balance between personal life and life as a Gwendev? Because well, not the Gwendev, but LiveOps director. Because it sounds like uh, you know a workload. It's pretty huge. So uh, how do you deal with that?
1: Oh, what's personal life?
2: <laughs> okay,
1: yeah. uh, I'm joking. No, I'm I'm actually fine. Uh, you know, it, to me the the life slash work uh balanced questions are are always tricky because i know it depends on the person like personally i i, I don't feel that uh, i don't feel this this very distinctive boundary uh border between between my work life and my personal life like sure there is a certain time of the day when i can just uh, switch off my pc and play a board game with my wife or uh i don't know reading fairy tale to my daughter but other than that, uh, when I'm not working, I'm still thinking about work. and uh, I know it's not because you know someone is forcing me to do that. It's just the way when you're passionate about something you're you're trying to generate ideas and you know some difficult problems occupies occupy your your mind for for a while. and'm like i i'm I'm, sh- I'm sure you guys know what, what I'm talking about like there is when you're doing something that you care about, there is no like working hours and non-working hours, really. Uh, but apart from that, uh, I, I feel very, uh, very comfortable working on the Gwent team, and uh, so far it was one
2: hell of a journey. All right, awesome.
0: And um, you know, you said that, you no, know, you're, you're spending time with your wife or or, or your kid. Um, you are not uh, originally from Poland. Um, are you guys no. learning Polish?
1: My wife knows it quite well. She actually learned it when uh, when we moved here. I started to learn it, so I would say it's safe to say I know it on the level of uh, Jason, probably. So you know, I can I can stick a couple of words here and there, uh, but. Uh, I, I don't. I can't really speak it. Like I, I can understand a lot of Polish because just, just because Polish and Russian is so uh, so similar to each other. But uh, I'm not comfortable speaking it.
0: All right, that answers my question.
2: <laughs> yeah, I've actually heard your wife uh, speaking Polish during one of the um, podcasts or lectures from the Russian community organization because I'm following that, and oh. they were they were actually talking about the art. Right, that was pretty. I had no
1: idea. Wow. Okay.
2: (laughs) All right. So let's move to the next one. Uh, You've already worked for two giants in the gaming industry, uh, CDPR and Riot Games, and we wanted to ask, how would you compare these experiences and company cultures? Well,
1: uh, it's it's definitely two very prominent companies in the in the game industry landscape. I would say they're very different. Like first of all, because uh, uh, their their expertise lies in a completely different areas, so to say. Uh, I think uh, we, we, in case of riots, it was you know free to play area from the start, and uh, they were they went all in into this direction. With CDPR is mostly known for as a developer of one of the best, if not the best RPGs uh, uh, of all times. Uh, so. Even like the expertise, I think dictates some of the difference. Uh, I think cultural wise and organizational wise, it's also very different because Riot is an American company with HQ located in US, and CDPR is uh, is from Poland with HQ located in Warsaw. I think it also affects the way things are and uh, how the communication happened between within the company. What's the let's say the philosophy of people in general you know not not just particular people that work uh, in riot on cdpr but it's more about like the the differences between nations more so to say right with with Americans probably being more cheerful and optimistic and uh, with uh, Europeans being more pragmatic maybe uh and uh, sometimes uh, uh less optimistic so to say but uh you know on on the high level uh to me, the, the biggest difference, really, when I switched uh, jobs was I, in Riot, I used to work in the original office, so not in the, not uh, in HQ. And uh, with CDPR, I had this opportunity to join the team uh, in HQ, so at the very center uh, of where things are. And it feels very empowering uh, to to work in the, in the middle of it all. Uh, I had a great chance to influence multiple things during the, that uh, three years at uh, CDPR, and they were very rewarding for me on many levels, and especially in terms of the professional growth. So all I can say is that I'm super happy to be here. I'm also uh, happy about my past. Uh, I learned a lot during my time at Riot as well, and hopefully really I can use some of the best practices uh, here in my, in my uh, job in CDPR as well.
2: All right, great. That explains it. But yeah, as a as a follow up, as you mentioned, you were actually working on a completely different project. And uh, mm-hmm. well, if you were to compare the live operations and and esports uh, in MOBA project and in CCG, um, what are the main differences between those?
1: Well, I think those those are quite different when it comes to live ops area. Uh, actually, I think the difference is somewhat similar as. Uh, as with eSports, right? So uh, mobile games are the uh, PVP uh, as well as uh, CCG, but this is a a uh, team-based eSports, right? So I think it makes all the difference when when it comes to the organizing of the tournaments. uh, When we're talking about the general eSports ecosystem, I think both both genres require smart place and strategic minds but maybe ccg is a little bit less demanding to quick reflexes rapid decision making so uh, you don't have to be uh, you know in, in a great physical shape so to say in order to uh, to be a mastermind uh, ccg player uh, but both both genres require like intelligence, right? Uh, require a great understanding of the game. Require some uh, decision making. So that that's that's the same. Um, when when it comes to uh, also to the esports uh, similarities, I think in general there are some best practices in, in esports regarding just how events are made, how the show coverage uh, is made. Uh, how the good production value look versus the bad production value, which is pretty much universal, not really depending on the genre. So when I'm working on 20 sports events, I'm always trying to get some inspiration, not only from my past job, but also from all the events which are happening right now, for example, in uh, first-person shooter space or, uh, I don't know, games like Rocket League or basically any esports which is happening right now in the world, I think, there are some great and not so great things to be inspired. and of course, I'm trying to focus on uh, on the best practices. Um, and finally, when you know, since we're talking about live ops also, um, I think there are many universal truths which are applicable to both genres. Uh, like ultimately, people tend to look for the same things in gaming. They want to have fun. And uh, they 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 are looking for some big place which which would make them feel good. So I don't think it's really different between let's say League of Legends and Gwent. in in both games there's this super overwhelming empowering feeling of oh I just did something amazing and that's how it's turned turned out right. So if you watch. Dandelion uh, the show, right? Like you, you know what I'm talking about. Like yeah. some some big place with uh, complete state of the with complete change of the state of the board. Uh, this 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 is super like exciting element in both games, and I think that's the really key to popularity of any game, not not just uh, CCG or mobile.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and that's why we can understand why Gwent is, is uh, really. Popular among Twitch um, uh, viewers, you know, if you just take a look at the way the game looks itself, if you compare it to the other card games, obviously, if you just take a look at the numbers, uh, you can't unfortunately see that. But I can. I think that you know, I've watched a lot of um, CCG games and tournaments, and I think that Gwent is really enjoyable when watching. And th- these big plays are there, and the big plays uh, done by the really masterminds of CCGs. Uh, are being conducted here and there. So absolutely, I think it's it's only going to develop in that direction. But yeah, but speaking yeah, of the yeah, Just yeah, one,
1: on. one more thing to, to follow up here. Sure. I, I think so the big place, yes, they're already existing in Gwent. What is maybe uh, uh, not entirely there, or the one area in which we're lacking is a game, is, the, let's say, the visual representation mm. of this uh, display. So like, how many cards have unique effects on the board, how does it feel to play legendary card and stuff like that? and that's that's something that we're very actively looking into because we also want uh, the game not only to feel great when you're uh, executing some amazing move, but also uh, look great at that moment, which uh, in my opinion, should also like raise, let's say, the popularity of the game on Twitch because yeah. if uh, someone comes uh, you know from from other game, for example, maybe from other CCG or from other genre, See what what Gwent is about. It may be difficult to understand like how cool was something that just happened if you are not the active players. If you don't really know uh, like why it was so amazing. But if there will be more effects which will kind of highlight the the awesomeness of uh, what just going on. And I'm talking about, for example, I think Shiru is uh, is very nice. Yeah? yeah. If you if you're never so if you if you never played Gwen before, it's very easy. Uh, understand instinctively that okay something big just going on like half of the board just disappeared like boom that that's cool right yeah we need more stuff like that
2: yeah absolutely absolutely I think that that's the thing that a lot of you know maybe we shouldn't talk about the other games right now but this is I think the reason that people got attracted to Runeterra for instance because uh, the hero cards entering the board and evolving was something that you know a lot of people were. Uh, we're excited about and and they are they are happy to see that happening during some tournaments. So that would be great to see in in Gwent as well in the future. But yeah, also Bouja mentioned that, and now you're confirming, um, you know, the plans. So so yeah, we can't wait to see those awesome animations for the gold cards for the legendary cards. All
0: Absolutely, right. definitely and, looking forward to it.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But speaking, uh, we spoke a, we spoke a lot uh, about the esports scene. And I would like you to compare also the Polish eSports scene and and the Russian one or the global one. How does it uh, look like right now? You know a lot of people are saying that uh, eSports companies, like even if you look uh, take a look at the stocks market, um, then you can see that eSports is uh, evolving and developing in Poland pretty rapidly. But what do you think about it? What's your take on that?
0: Well, all
1: I can say is that I think uh, Poland is a very prominent country on the global map of. Um... Esports relevant countries. There are quite a lot of uh, famous Polish uh, e athletes in different genres, actually. So Jankos in, uh, in League of Legends, especially and in, in Counter Strike, Tailbot and Gwent. You know that there. Uh, there are quite quite a few uh, very big names, and uh, obviously Gwent Procin uh, from Poland is very strong. And I think it's only natural, just considering how Witcher is as a brand is popular uh, here in Poland. Yeah. And actually, same can be said about the Russian-speaking uh, countries—not only Russia, but you know, all countries which speak the same language. Uh, we have basically the same folklore, so the, the game is also very popular, uh, you know, east of Poland and uh, in this part of the world. We also have very prominent uh, professional community of players. So, uh, to me, like both both markets are powerhouses when when it comes to esports. Uh, and uh, yeah, like when it comes to Gwent, I'm actually excited to see more countries to uh, to be put on the map with with uh, players, you know, making them famous. Because of their great performance uh, in Gwent so far, I think there are a few countries which are which have more uh, strong popular players uh, than than others. Like definitely Poland, uh, Russia, China, Germany. Uh, definitely, you know, comes comes to mind first when when we're uh, talking about Gwent Pro scene. Uh, like I personally would like to see more players from US with uh, uh red rain uh, you know kind of open opening the gate for them I hope there will be some follow-up maybe next year with, with more people representing the flag uh, but yeah like we it's, it's amazing to see that there are players from all over the world right like we uh, we had poisons from Latin America yeah. last time and it was super exciting as well so they're very excited about the global nature event in this sense
2: Yeah, it's getting more and more international, the Spanish uh, community is also getting more active. You can see that on on Twitter uh, in the tournaments as well. They're organizing uh, more community events and would be awesome to see them more. And obviously, yeah, the U.S. (laughs) with the big entrance of big rain and all the emotions during the tournament, that was awesome to watch.
1: Yes, true, true that.
0: (laughs) But um, speaking of community involvement, How did you come up with the idea of community helping with the qualifiers administration? Because Claymore has been quite essential in that process. It
1: it wasn't exactly, you know, an an Erika moment. Not a sudden strike of uh, some genius idea. Really, the Claymore were active uh, for quite a while. At the moment where we decided to to work uh, with them, when I decided to get in touch and actually offer uh, this cooperation to, to their admin, to Snake. Um, the story goes back into 2017. Uh, I think we had some so-so experience with uh, one of the uh, communities slash companies which were running a Challenger uh, qualifier. Uh, I think it was maybe one of first of the kind uh, for for December Challenger, if I remember correctly. Um, or maybe maybe it was actually for next challenger, the one in in Velichka uh, sold mine. my my memory fails me a little bit. But anyway, uh, I think the very first experience we we did with some some other community was not so positive. So I decided that, okay, maybe instead of just trying to to find a partner which would uh, help us with uh, organizing the qualifiers outside of the grant community, Maybe we should look inside and we should look for people that know how to do tournaments which are truly passionate about it and really care about the results, really care about the players, about their experience, and can actively and proactively manage the you know the flow of the tournament. so it's not like with with the first sign of uh, issue, they just you know Step outside and saying, okay, not my problem, that's all CDPR fault. Like we have nothing to do with that. So Claymore proved to be exactly a partner like that. I'm extremely uh, happy to to work with them during all this time. They proved to be super reliable and super friendly, I think, both for for us and for players. So, a huge, uh, huge kudos to Snake, you know, sending my love. Uh, to him for being such an awesome leader for, for this collective of uh, players and uh, admins. Uh, you guys are the best.
2: Great. He was actually supposed to be uh, you know, another guest on our show today. Unfortunately, he got sick. Uh, but So maybe next time we'll see him and talk about the details as well. So yeah, shout out to Eric, a.k.a. Snake. Uh, hope you get well soon, man. And we'll see you in another episode.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. OK, Hazard, do we have more questions from chat? Uh,
2: yeah, actually, we have a couple more here I'd like to ask. Um, the one about the Gwent marketing was actually quite interesting. There was a question if you believe that Gwent marketing outside of Europe should be increased. Should there be any changes for that um, on that field?
1: What? I'm always, you know, kind of puzzled by by the questions about Gwent marketing. Like, sure, maybe we're not famous for like spending crazy amounts of uh, marketing money. So, uh, you know, your whole uh, news feed, uh, in in Facebook, let's say, are filled with our with Gwent advertisements. Uh, so we're not, you know, Shadow Raid Legends or or <laughs> whatever, whatever is uh, the, the name of the game. Uh, is in this regard. It doesn't mean that we're not spending on advertising the game, right? Uh, actually, majority of our spend uh, uh, is outside of the Europe. So what we, I don't know whether what exactly makes uh, the people who who you know asking these questions think that Europe is being the main target of uh, of our campaigns. It's not entirely true. It's true that Europe is one of the Best organic markets for us, meaning that a lot of players from from Europes, you know just discover the game on on their own, not because of the advertisement, but because it's already so such a established brand and uh, people are like actively looking for it. So um, in this sense, we we never stopped advertising the the game like at least starting from early two thousand and nineteen, I think. Uh, we will still have plans to continue to do so, and of course we're always looking for the ways to optimize uh, this process to make sure that our creatives, you know, the, this uh, trailers or static images or whatever which is being used for for the campaigns, they're actually on point and they are exciting enough for people to consider, you know, giving Gwent to try. And uh, by all means, it's not an easy task, right? It's quite hardcore game which is not for everyone it can yeah. be advertised as the game that you can you know invest five minutes of your time and get the immediate results it's for people that you know un- understand the commitment uh, the people that are appreciate the CCg genre in general I think and uh, it's maybe uh, quite meaningless to to target people which are not really interested in to hard games like at all I doubt that uh, Gwent can be their their first CCg in this sense unless they're die, Ho- die hard witcher fans of in this case, I believe it's, it's possible. Like I, 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 think it's possible to develop the love for the CCG genre starting from Gwent. So we, with marketing, like I, I don't know what to say here. Uh, we're we're never really stopped advertising the game, and we we will continue to do so. And uh, hopefully, uh, you will see some results of it as well. But one one additional caveat here is that if you personally don't see Gwent advertisements, it means that our campaigns are actually working as intended because the, the, that's how the targeting works. Like We are actually trying to filter out the existing players so you don't see these annoying uh, trailers or pre-rolls on YouTube or, or Facebook posts if you're already an active player. So if your friends, which are not playing the game, uh, see those, that means that we're doing something right.
2: Yeah, that explains it, I think, and it's good that Gwent is not becoming a Rage Shadow Legends <laughs> in that term, because those ads on YouTube are just awful.
1: Some of these ads are pretty hilarious. I mean, the the three D <laughs> like uh, characters and I think the humor in them is is pretty cool. What what yeah. uh, I I don't like is maybe the, the sheer amount of this of uh, this advertisement. True.
2: Yeah, we also have a question about um, expecting more devs and people joining the Gwen team after the release of Cyberpunk. Obviously, the works are going to continue to go on on Cyberpunk because we know the, we know like the, you know, more or less the roadmap for the Cyberpunk and the plans for the multiplayer in the future. But yeah, are there any plans of developing the stream, the, um, the team after the release? Well, it might happen.
1: Let me put it this way. It's not like uh, we were waiting for a certain date and we're waiting for an influx of uh, deaths from, from Cyberpunk all of a sudden uh, starting to work on Gwent, as you as you said, uh, like the, the roadmap for, for the future development already exists for them. So uh, it might happen that we might you know get occasional help here and there when we need it. And uh, this process was... Already happening uh, during all this time, like you know, we're, we're even though Gwent team is quite independent. Like whenever the need arises, we can always help each other. So sometimes, you know, people that normally work on Cyberpunk are giving us a helping hand in Gwent, and sometimes it works the other way around. And I just assume that it's going to continue uh, after the release of the game.
2: All right, awesome. Yeah, do we have some more time for other questions, Matt?
0: Uh, um, we are actually approaching the two-hour mark, so maybe a yeah. small one.
2: All right, so yeah, let's let's pick up this one. Uh, we know that there were some sponsoring other streamers on some occasions, like Crip being sponsored for Thronebreaker. Is that something that you might consider again in the future? Because, you know, um, hiring some... Uh, more prominent streamers to, to promote the game? Uh, I, I don't want to say no, we will never do this.
1: I think the, the answer is that uh, yes, maybe. Uh, just just to share a little bit more uh, context here, I don't personally believe that you know, just sponsoring uh, any particular streamer, it can be anyone, it can be Ninja, it can be a Creep again, it can be uh, Trout, like just just name any streamer, uh, for a limited uh, amount of time, would do us any good in the long term. Because at the end of the day, if the streamer is specializing at uh, not in Gwent and uh, his his forte is something else, and that's where the also the taste of the majority of his audience or her audience lies, it means that it will be just a short term distraction. The uh, distraction which May or may not lead to any, you know, significant results. Like I, I, I do believe that uh, working with streamers community, making sure that people that actually want to get into the grant receive the support that they need from, from us as a as a publisher, as a dev, uh, uh, should be provided. Yes, I, I, think, I think this is uh, this is really needed, and this is the way to go. However, I don't believe into this uh, like short-term in the short-term gain of just you know giving money to to a particular person just to play for for a day and then drop it forever and no one ever will will remember that. So I think if we're smart, we can find the ways to to engage the streamers community better than we're doing it right now. Like totally, right now I'm not satisfied with uh let's say the level of. Mm, like Gwent penetration of the, the streamers community so to say.
0: Yeah. Right on. Um so I think that exhausts our time limit for today. Because we just approached the two hour mark. So with that being said, shameless plug. Uh Vlad, if people wanna learn more about you, about your work, where can they find you?
1: Well, if if you want to learn more about my work, please, by all means, play Gwent. This is the Witcher card game. So you can find some, hopefully, you can find some of the results there. Uh, if you want to just to follow the some of the updates uh, from, from me, not always work-related, mind you, but uh, it's maybe 99% is, uh, you can follow me on Twitter, so Thor Serpent. I think there is a link in the chat. Uh, I can see it right now, and uh, I have the same nickname on Reddit. In case if you ever want to, you know, to ask some questions or uh, have some feedback about uh, Gwent, we can also uh, have a nice conversation there.
0: All right, Hesser, your turn.
2: All right, guys. So if you want to uh, enjoy some Gwent and you want to play cyberpunk in the future with me as well, you can drop at twitch.tv/slash tavern i'll be happy to see you there and yeah just play gwent and let's uh, anticipate the really good future for gwent as vlad today told us i uh, can't wait to see season three we'll be definitely following that and uh yeah It'll be awesome
0: okay guys uh i would um also like to remind you that uh, if you want to stay in touch off stream you can follow us on twitter at the podcast and that this episode is going to be uploaded on YouTube, Spotify, and numerous other platforms, either tonight or tomorrow. With that being said, Vlad, Hesser, thank you guys for being here. Really appreciate it. The great time during this episode. And chat. thanks for being with us. Thanks for asking good questions this time. And uh, we'll see you guys around. Thanks. A lot, thank guys. you. you. Till next time. Take care.